Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail! This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. For the purposes of this particular podcast, you might call me Ruckmeister McCool. Please do. And uh, here's how this works. You send us an email. You send us a letter. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, and then uh, we read them, we answer them, we answer your questions, we respond to your criticisms, we uh, give recommendations of anything you want, really. The floor is yours. We also have a P.O. box for those who prefer to uh, send uh, ye old paper letter mails. It's not so ye old. it's just the mail. It's, it's a postal service. I just it's like still s- offered I in this country. just like saying it, but it's yes. Not, not, I don't even like snail mail. Just send us a letter. Send us a letter, but you have to write it by candlelight. And uh, Whitney, what is our P.O. Using box? Using a tallow candle. None of that Ooh. beeswax nonsense. None uh, of y'all beeswax, Whitney. <laughs> send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, and uh, this is your show. This is where you... Get to dictate what we discuss, so let's not dilly-dally, Whitney. Uh, let's jump right into our first email. Uh, here's a letter from James. Hello, James. Hi, James. Uh, dear William and Whitney, after listening to your discussion on how to fix the rating system, this ah. is something we did on our last Letters episode, yeah. uh, I would like to suggest something that I know Americans are none too fond of. Uh, James is English. Uh, but I trust you to be more open to a look, mm. how, look at how other countries do it, to mm. see if us foreigners might have some ideas worth copying. I saw This Film Is Not Yet Rated. That's a documentary film by Kirby Dick, uh, which is excellent. It kind of tries to blow the lid off of the the American rating system. Mm -hmm. Uh, When it first came out, so I have a general idea of the problems of what happens in the USA. I'm English. Mm. So here's how the BBFC, the British Board of Film Classification, differs. The modern rating system in the UK is almost identical to that of of the USA. Uh, U for universal, all ages. PG, parental guidance, older supervision recommended for the under eights. 12A, older supervision required for the under 12s, 15, restricted to 15 plus, and 18, restricted to 18 plus. Okay, so a couple extra categories in the middle there, yeah. Mm. Uh, well, just more sp- different ages, uh, age brackets. Well, yeah, but there's, we have G, PG, PG-13, uh, well, I guess it is the no, same, but if you include NC-17, I guess it's the same number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough. Uh, just like the MPAA, this is all technically voluntary, but no major cinema shop would sell something that hasn't been rated. However, 18 is commonplace in both. The maximum rating carries no financial penalties, uh, right. which is unlike here in the United States. There are some retailers who will not stock NC-17 rated films. Well, uh, Walmart, yeah. most notably, well, and Blockbuster Video back when they were a film. And indeed, there's no rule that says they can't. They're, that they consider that a, not to. They've yeah. decided not to. My point is that that's not a uh, socially... That's not a, that's not a political choice. That is a social choice. Okay. Uh, so technically, they could if they wanted to. But yeah, fair enough. There is there is unfortunately a economic cost to it. Yeah. Where the UK differs drastically to the USA is that these ratings are fully explained and transparent. The most bizarre part of the Kirby Dick documentary is the notion that the MPAA doesn't explain its judgment, leaving the filmmakers to guess what they think should be cut to make a rating. No such mystery exists in the UK. Mm. Um, In that documentary, there's actually an interview with John Waters, and uh, they rated his last film, Mm. and it was the last film he's made to date, Mm. uh, A Dirty Shame, which came out in 2004. And they, it came back with an NC-17. It's like, well, I was actually being very responsible. There's nothing 
like like it's sexual and there's nudity and there's you know a lot of uh, mm-hmm. fetishes fetish talk in this. But he but... wasn't trying to push any buttons. Like he yeah, wasn't like, like he was it, trying to like keep it. For John Waters, mm-hmm. it's pretty it's, measured. It, yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of, could have been a lot less restrained. And uh, and he said, okay, well, what what is it? Like, is there like a certain scene or a shot or something that that uh, should be cut? And they just said, there's there's a thousand brush strokes. You can't cut ten. Uh, so yeah, it was just pervasive throughout. So they just had to release it with an NC-17 and it wasn't a success as a result of that. Um, anyway, back to the letter. It says the movie Daredevil with Ben Affleck, it got a 15 rating in the UK because of a brief moment towards the end where Jennifer Garner's hand is impaled by a dagger and she is seen in pain. In order to get a 12A cinema release, they removed those five seconds. Okay. Yeah. Uh, while few films in the USA get the lowest rating, plenty of those get... Those same films get a U in the UK. Toy Story 2, 3, and 4 all got a universal rating. But the original didn't, and if you want to know why, it's right out in the open on the website. I will save you some time. It's the neighbor Sid, particularly the bit with the fireworks, which has been classified as a dangerous, imitatable behavior. Yeah, that tracks. Mm. It's a re- Listen, whether or not you agree with it, that's a understandable reason. Uh-huh. I can I can get that, yeah. You understand little kids might want to do that, yeah. Uh, in my... In my reading of your discussion, Whitney immediately took the stance of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. There's no consideration that not uh, that not just parents, but film watchers in general, use ratings as guidance. The same, age, I'm the same age as you, but if the film is rated 18, I'll check for more information because there are certain things like torture porn that I have no interest in watching. Ratings have uses. No one in the UK has the conversation about replacing U and PG with a single rating because there is a clear documented difference. If there's no practical difference between G and PG, then why jump to immediately to getting rid of one uh, without considering if it could be fixed instead. The transparency of each band builds trust with parents. My friends with young children know any U film is fine to leave a child with, while PG means keeping an eye out in case their child gets disturbed. And this transparency prevents the different treatment of hetero and homosexual relationships because any such hypocrisy can be brought forth publicly. The 1995-1999 film American Pie and But I'm a Cheerleader both got 15 ratings in the UK, both for sexual references irrespective of gender and sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Jamie Babbitt, who directed uh, But I'm a Cheerleader, is also on in uh, The Film Is Not Yet Rated. Yeah. Because But I'm a Cheerleader was initially going to get an NC-17 rating. Because there is uh, a, it's queer, mm-hmm. which you know that's that's a big issue. Yeah, the um, NPA tends to uh, rate anything queer much more harshly like, yeah, than anything. Two, two, two women kiss, boom! It's already an R rating. It doesn't yeah. matter how innocent the, the material is. Yeah. Uh, and there was also a scene in the movie that they actually ended up having to cut, where the Natasha Leone character is masturbating. Yeah. Uh, not nude, just like over over her clothes. Even. Yeah. And. Uh, Jamie Babbitt was incensed because her film was going to get an NC-17 rating for that. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jason Biggs had sex with a pie in American Pie uh, around yeah. the same time. And that only have, um, was never threatened with an NC-17. That was never threatened? With, that movie is... It's it's incredibly crass. It's incredibly crass. You would think it would have at least brushed up the edge mm-hmm. of NC-17. Wow. Yeah, uh, That's ridiculous. So if you're considering the UK rating system rather than the US one, do you see a problem? Uh, because... It's only the slightest bit different to use uh, to the one in America, yet I don't see having uh, of the issues you identified. However, to present a fair assessment, 
It should be acknowledged that in the UK, the, uh, the ratings are a form of censorship. For many decades, the movie Child's Play was not permitted for release in the UK, yep. and I think even now, the version available has cuts. There are certain things not permitted even in an 18 movie. Perhaps this will offend some people's sense of freedom, uh, because it is the government saying that there are certain things that even an adult can't access, but those are defined by an act of parliament, not to the BBFC. Right. As I wrap up, I want to remind you of another country and their uh, interesting approach to ratings. France granted Fifty Shades of Grey a 12th, meaning any teenager could see it, also meaning none would be interested in doing so. Best wishes, James. Oh, that's an interesting uh, bit of reverse psychology there. Um, A couple of things you brought up there. First off, yeah, other countries do have different rating systems, and they seem to work reasonably well. Uh, There's a lot of things that you described about the British rating system that make Mm -hmm. a lot of sense. Having those extra categories between, like, PG and R Mm. works for me. Uh, Having a more explicit description as to why it got that rating would Mm -hmm. be helpful. Also very, very useful. Uh, The fact that there are things that the government still says cannot be in a movie bothers me. Mm. Uh, Keep in mind, England is the source of the term video nasties. That's true. There's a whole series of films in the, I think, late 70s and 80s when movies started coming out on video. 71 or 72 of them, yeah. Yeah, particularly, mostly horror movies, particularly violent films, uh, were labeled as video nasties and they were not permitted in the UK, you can only get on, them on, like, the bootleg video, market. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's actually a pretty good movie uh came out last year, I think, called Censor, mm. uh, which is about one of the UK censors who watched ultraviolent horror movies. And, to uh, see if st- they were video to nasties. To see if they were video nasties. And they start, they think they see something in a movie that mm. leads them down a rabbit hole. And it's really creepy. And it's pretty good. Um, I, I started to review, I was going to review all of the video nasties. Oh, for uh, that's for, a hell of a trip. This was years ago. This was back uh, in Nerdist. And, yeah. and, and they shit canned me when I got two films in. Ah, it's Like you're bad. writing about horror too much. Well, yeah. It's, it's what we're doing. Nerdist. Horror nerds are a thing, right? Anyway. Uh, so anyway, I know I don't agree with that part of the practice, but I do agree that there's a lot of things that work. I think the reason why, and Whitney, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, if you have a different take on it. Hmm. I think the reason why when we talk in America about overhauling the rating system, we tend to talk in really big terms, like hmm. jettisoning it completely or doing these dramatic changes to it. Uh, and that's because, um, Americans don't always handle nuance very well. Like, subtle changes well, don't was, necessarily feel mm. big enough. And so, if you just add it, just changing X to NC-17 was not a dramatic enough change for anyone to even consider that a meaningful difference. Whereas, if you dramatically change the whole thing, people are going to notice, and it's going to feel like change. And so, I think I immediately sort of locked into that idea that in order to get people to go along with this and feel like it's a meaningful change... Mm-hmm. It needs to be a top-down, dramatic overhaul. Yeah. yeah. So, well, but maybe also, that's maybe that's me being cynical about Americans, and but well, I've also, I've seen it. You know, America. You know, you're you're writing in and you're talking about sort of the the, the British public's uh, reaction to these mm. these uh, ratings. Uh, we have uh, you know psychopathic Puritans here in the United States. Uh, it's. Uh, uh, the culture is quite different and there's a lot of inc- well, I mean there's uptight people everywhere uh, this right. is not a uniquely American phenomenon well, there are people who are trying to, to outlaw selling books about queer people and queer experiences in bookstores yeah outlaw yeah, it so, like make it against the law so there yeah. there's been this weird Puritan push and pull in this country over what yeah. can and cannot be permitted in films so 
it kind of makes sense that we've eventually settled on, oh, all of the big ones are PG-13 now. That's just a code for a quor- mm-hmm. four-quadrant movie that most anybody could watch. Like, it's I like get a little it. violent for kids, and everything else is kind of useless. Yeah, There's a, there's a really good... Uh, James Gray uh, was interviewed at Cannes recently. You can find it on Twitter really, really, uh, really easily. Um, he was interviewed and he was asked about what it's like right now in the film industry and that it feels like the the box office has been so dominated by a certain kind or kinds of, of cinema, sort of IP-driven blockbusters. And a lot of people just say, oh, it's bad or I'm so sick of it or whatever. And he had a good point, which is that it makes sense from a executive perspective uh, that you fund the films that are popular. You fund the films that make money. Okay, so superhero movies make money. Jurassic Park movies make money. These kind of franchise-driven movies make money. We're going to put all of our money into that, and we're going to flood the multiplex with it, and it's great. And he basically had a great speech about how that creates, you know, it it works in a way because you're making that money, but you're actually strangling the audience and not letting them like get enough oxygen to like. Mm experience other films you know there are people who will see those movies but the people who will actually also see the godfather don't have that option anymore and you're just creating this kind of weird monoculture and that eventually hurts you and it even hurts your bottom line because you can't make a profit doing anything else yeah well so you can't make well my point is this you can't there's there's less room for it yeah which is unfortunate it's unfortunate and and i think that goes for ratings as well you there's less room for R ratings to find an audience. That's room for G ratings to find an audience. You know, there's mm. just this sort of thing where it's like, it's all one thing and you need to be able to find different stuff. Otherwise yeah, it's not going to be able to the, grow and evolve very well financially or artistically. Which is, and I see his point, but it also yeah. goes to a, um, a type of thinking that I've always tried to discourage and that is trying to look at the film from the executive's perspective Mm -hmm. i don't give a damn what the executive decisions made if i'm seeing a film and there's a bad Mm -hmm. decision in there all i see is that somebody made a bad decision i'm not interested in hearing your excuses from an executive's perspective i guess i don't care about how much money they're making i'm the one consuming i'm giving you money to see it i agree with so i i don't need to look at film as a business venture if I got a bad product. I agree with that, but I think if you want the industry to change, Uh, you sometimes need to couch it in terms that the industry can understand. I I suppose so, or what we do is just not see the movie. Well, I realize that, but (laughs) there is a way, and I think what James was talking about is, Mm. there's a way to do both, Mm. which is to enjoy these films, many of which are quite enjoyable, while also allowing other types of films to proliferate. Yeah. You know, maybe not as much. That's just the way the industry works. Things go in and out of favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're not letting them proliferate. <laughs> we're not giving them the opportunity to do so. Yeah, well, and the again, people, again, and there's a significant amount of people who want to see different kinds of movies mm-hmm. don't have the option to at a multiplex anymore because of this. Mm-hmm. And, and in a way, though, that's kind of on us. Yeah. Because we're not going to see a lot of these other movies. True. Uh, it's also, but it's also on... But after a while, we don't have the, we don't have as many opportunities to. Yeah, so you know? we just stop seeing movies after a while. Yeah, bummer. <laughs> anyway, we got off on the, we got yeah. off on a tangent there. But uh, thank you for the thank you for the perspective yeah. and, because uh, we're looking at it from a distinctly American perspective. And indeed, mm-hmm. there are other. If anyone else has uh, is from another country or from another uh, culture where um, ratings are handled in a dramatically different fashion than we've already talked about, we'd love to hear about that. Mm-hmm. That might be interesting. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Additional contrast and comparison. Yeah. Uh, here's another letter on ratings. Okay. Uh, it's from JLo. Thank you for writing in JLo. Hey, JLo. It says, Greetings, folks. 
Uh, two quick stories about MPAA ratings. Uh, first, I recently got to see Frank Hennenlotter's Basket Case Ooh. Oh, with a live introduction and afterward uh, afterward Q&A with the director. Nice. Oh, I'm Very jealous. jealous yeah. um, great fun. Really glad I got to go. Central Pennsylvania usually doesn't get cool stuff like that. Mm. Uh, one of the stories Hennenlotter shared afterwards was on the rating of the movie. The producer said to make an R-rated cut, they submitted it that to the MP- MPAA, got the ratings out in the press, and that only then screened the unrated cut, which was the one you should be familiar with. Really cheeky, but I like that a lot. Yeah. There's... yeah. Okay, so they submitted a uh, cut, they got uh-huh. an R rating, and then they sent a different cut to theaters. Yeah. Just do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is not the only time I've heard of that about that happening, by the way. They yeah. just they don't really follow it. They're not, not they're paying not, attention. No, what are they going to uh, do? Check every single film? Like, they're, they're not going to, so. Uh, personally, the only R-rated movie I tried to get tickets to, uh, things were more strict in the 2000s, was District 9. Oh. My best friend, my oldest friend, and I wanted to see it at the age of 15. We sent my 17-year-old sister to get tickets, and instead she came back with tickets to The Time Traveler's Wife. Ooh, I didn't get around to seeing District film. 9 until I was 24. Solid movie, should rewatch it at some point. Anyway, keep on keeping on, J-Lo. I kind of want to know what you thought of The Time Traveler's Wife. <laughs> I keep hearing things about the show, and it's like that's not stuff I heard about from the movie. Mm. <laughs> Sounds really weird. Um, but yeah, fair enough. Thank you for writing it. Right. Uh, here's a letter from Cody. Hello, Cody. Hey, Cody. Uh, dear Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool, a few months ago, uh, our dear Rockmeister, uh, hey, that's me, hey. Uh, responded to a tweet that asked uh, what one would do if they became the chief, of, chief executive of the Walt Disney Company. In true mm. Whitney fashion, he said we'd release every IP into the public domain. <laughs> <laughs> I love you for it. I, I enjoy Whitney's brand of chaos. Yeah, burn, burn it all down. Burn it all yeah. down. Everybody. I, I, I admire uh, your principles. <laughs> I do. It's it's absolute commitment <laughs> to principles, whether whether or not they're even right. Oh, who cares? <laughs> well, that's ah, a complicated issue, but it's right. fine. Um. Uh, now say these brands slash assets actually were released into the public mm-hmm. domain. What property do you think? Uh, what property do you make into something, and what do you do with it? My favorite ideas I've come up with so far is Kaiju Goofy. <laughs> 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 Sincerely yours, Cody. That's, that's pretty damn funny. <laughs> oh yuck! <laughs> so uh, uh, so yeah. So a lot of people like will do these like Twitter prompts. So it's like okay, you wake up one morning and you're Batman. What do yeah. you do? At which point the first thing it is, well, my parents died, so I guess I'll be sad for a while. <laughs> so let's start with that. A little bit more more practical. If I'm Batman, I turn myself in. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, nice. Whitney, Whitney Blessum always comes up with an interesting choice there. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember this. Uh, someone said, okay, you wake up, you're, you're in control of Disney, you can do whatever you want with the Disney Corporation. That's not actually how it works. You do have to answer to a board of directors. But anyway, in this fantasy, why ruin fantasy with fact, I say? You can do anything you want with Disney. And, and Whitney's decision was to release all the intellectual property they have mm. into the public domain. My one caveat with that... Uh-huh. Is that some of those intellectual properties are were made by people who are still alive and kind of deserve credit and money for their work? Okay, so here's what we so here's what we're facing: a company that's earning money uh-huh. from those creators' creations, yes, and aren't giving those creators any money. I will give them money. Or, okay. I, first thing I do is I give them the money that they All deserve right, before I even think about releasing it to public domain. I want to make sure everyone got paid. That's, that's actually a better like if somebody still like wants the property back, I'd give yeah. it back to them. Like first. if you like for example, you know if you created the Winter Soldier, the guy who created the Winter Soldier as as a character, not Bucky, but like that version of the character. Uh-huh. 
famously didn't get paid a lot for that movie. Yeah, he actually like, yeah, he got paid give, more for his cameo in the movie than he did for the story well, that give, turned into yeah, a give, billion dollar film. Give give him fifty million. Well, everything. give him whatever he deserves, and give him the character if he and and yeah. and the co creators because I know there was an artist as well. But like right. you get they, they get their characters. Anyone who is actually actually belongs in the public domain, like for example Mickey Mouse, mm. that's public domain. Okay. That would be what I would do. I wouldn't just you. You decided to go pure chaos, which, sure, yes, for, which has both good and bad connotations. I yeah, feel. I know. I'd love to see it though. I know, right? It's like Star Star Wars is in the public domain. Go! Oh <gasps> my god! Yeah, that would be that would be great. And would, honestly, would it, would and it honestly, just be great? Like any 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 rinky dink independent filmmaker well, gonna make a Darth Vader movie? And I'd feel kind of better about that in terms for Star Wars because it was George Lucas's baby. He gave it up. Yeah, yeah. he gave it up for money, but then he gave that money to charity. Bless him. Mm-hmm. So he George, doesn't care. George Lucas said something you never hear anymore from rich people. Uh, I have enough money. Yeah, he actually said that. Yeah. So so bless George Lucas for that. A lot of respect. That. A lot of respect for George Lucas. I'm not like, gonna lie. I'm, I'm rich enough. Like, I made a lot yeah. of money off of and Star he, Wars. And he washed his hands of Star Wars and he's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm good. I think in an interview, he's like, Why do I, why should I keep making things with Star Wars? Because every time I do, they just tell me I'm a horrible person. Yeah. I'm not gonna do this anymore. It's gone. Yeah, gone. I don't bl- yeah, I feel bad about that part. But yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I, I, I wrote it. I don't like those movies, but mm-hmm. like I get wanting to quit. I yeah. get it. Yeah. I, uh, I wrote an article today about uh, the actor Jake Lloyd. Oh yeah. Who, uh, uh, he was the child actor from The Phantom Menace. He was bullied. Uh, he he was, was bullied, and yeah, he's, him, he's yeah. Uh, just looking into let that poor man's life. Yeah, like, he, he moved back home. He's been diagnosed with uh, paranoid schizophrenia. He's, oh my god! Yeah, poor guy. Uh, his mom called the cops on him once because he was off his meds. Like oh, he was. That's too bad. He was chased off the road by cops in South Carolina once and ran his wow. car into a tree. He spent oh. ten months in a jail in South Carolina. Wow. I don't know why why they had to keep him there that long. That's before they sent him to a mental institution. Oh, that's... That's I had no yeah, idea about all yeah, that. Stuff. Yeah, that's, Jake that's Lloyd has bad. had had a pretty miserable post Star Wars life. Like, there's a lot of struggles. That's you know, true, like, and that's and that's totally yeah. fair. And like, yeah, but I guess, wow. Now I'm just bummed out. Yeah, but so, yeah, so yeah. Let, let's let's take away. Disney's let's give it to Jake to... Lloyd. There you go. <laughs> let's give Star Wars to Jake, Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd doesn't want anything to do with fucking Star okay, Wars. Okay, we'll give it to Ahmed Best. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You're in charge Ahmed now. Ahmed Best would be happy. There you go. Well, I feel like that, that sounds like the story of like, I remember in the in the 90s, there were a couple of movies that was like, uh, where a kid gets a baseball team, like Little Big League. Like his granddad oh, yeah. owns, owns like the Minnesota Twins or something and he gives it to his grandson. And but the kid, he's like a little kid, he's like 12. I never saw it, but yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm probably getting the team wrong or whatever, but like, um, I want to do that. Like, I want to do like, let's bring back that kind of like blank check era at Disney. Uh-huh. Where like, kids rule! But instead of a kid getting a blank check for a million dollars, like the kid, due to like a weird loophole at Disney, gets Star Wars. Like an eleven-year-old kid gets Star Wars. That is a good idea. Just some random eleven-year-old. Just some. Kid. That's the whole movie. Some random eleven-year-old kid through a legal loophole or some weird clause that George Lucas put in his contract that mm. Disney didn't see because it was written in invisible ink or something. <laughs> all right. All of a sudden, it's like Disney's just like, yeah. It turns out. Uh, we have to give the the whole Star Wars franchise to whichever person buys the 100th ticket to the 10th movie we make. Oh, shit. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? <laughs> well, That's I'm, why we I'm... stopped making movies. We're only doing TV now. <laughs> 
For, and the, what's the eleven year old gonna do? It's like first movie, the Wookiees all get along. Yeah, right. I want, no, I here, want that. I want pure chaos. Here, here's what. I, no, here's what I want. They, they give it to an eleven year old, but it's a very gentle eleven year old. Yeah, he doesn't nice, want yeah. any fighting scenes in Star Wars. Or maybe, or you know, you probably want to do something like development or like that. So like the initial idea is to do something really, really cool, but then like the kid listens to their friends. Or whatever, and there's like a Star Wars for everybody now, and like, or yeah. or what ha- or the the lesson is the kid has this really wonderful idea. It's like I, I've figured out what I want Star Wars to be, and it's really yeah. gentle. It's it's gonna be like Yoda yeah. goes on a walk. Star Peace. Like, star Peace. It's like yeah. Yeah, the, the the wars are finally over. It's Star Peace, and this yeah. that's my movie, Star Peace, and. Uh, he sends it like to all of like the script doctors and they're the ones who like kind of turn it back into just regular Star Wars again and it gets yeah. very upset. Yeah. It's kind of disillusioned. Or she or they. Pardon? Or she or they. It doesn't oh, have to be a boy. You, but, like, yeah, you said 11 year old boy. But, yeah. I, 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 I was going off of the blank check mentality but it doesn't have to yeah, be. Yeah. 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 That's a fun idea actually. <laughs> Shit. If anyone makes that we get so we should get so much money. But it's Disney, so we won't. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, fair enough. Anyway, we should move on. Let's let's pitch it to Disney and get no money or credit. <laughs> Thanks, but, Disney. But we can tell the story when we have a beer in our 60s. <laughs> hey, you know that, that shitty blank check movie with Star Wars? That was me. <laughs> was it? It was you? You, beer man? Yeah, I don't even drink beer. Okay. I, don't, I actually don't drink beer. I'm, I know. I'm, you're, I'm, a, I'm a liquor man. You didn't used to drink anything. No, not even water. Uh, no, I drank water. No, oh, okay. no, I, I, I was a teetotaler until like maybe yeah. my mid thirties. Yeah, and then he like, says, then he just threw caution to the wind. Fuck it. It was like I'm a, I figured I'm, I'm in my mid thirties. I'm an adult now. Yeah. I should be able to handle it now. Well, yeah, because I, I hated booze for a long it wasn't, time. It wasn't a moral principle. It just wasn't what you're into. No, no, it I wasn't like you like thought want, it was evil. Or no, anything. I just didn't yeah. want to do it. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't. Yeah, that's how I feel about eating vegetables. Moving on. <laughs> Um, here's a letter from Dr. Nova. Hello, Dr. Nova. Hey, Dr. Nova. Uh, hi, Biggs and Rock, Bibbs and Rockmeister. Uh, I recently realized I am asexual. Good for you. Oh, muzzle tough. Uh, and I also realized just how weird and sexual my D&D adventures are. <laughs> oh, all D&D adventures go there some mm. at some point, don't they? Um, it's been very interesting learning the, that it has come to my notice uh, that the ace representation is somewhat lacking. Mm. The only characters that are asexual uh, is Data. Who is a robot who doesn't have emotions? The Doctor from Doctor Who, and Sherlock Holmes, who is straight. Uh, who uh, straight people keep trying to ship with Irene Adler because she was in a book once. I mean, he was he. he she was his match, mm. like in like in terms of like intellect and everything. Uh, I think he was fascinated by her, but yeah, I don't think they were romantic. Yeah. I don't think that ever would have worked. Yeah. Given yeah. my annoyance with lack of representation, why do you think this is? Given how many Marvel movies aren't sexual at all, mm-hmm. do you have any ideas on what characters are ace in any media? Uh, thanks, Doctor mm-hmm. Nova. Um, um, that's a great question. It um, is a good question. Uh, a lot of we were just talking about sort of the four quadrant thing, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of the way the ratings work is uh, sex is given a harsher rating in the United States than violence. Violence is more permitted than for not, yeah. younger audiences, whereas sex is verboten and. Mm-hmm. Uh, as such, a lot of characters in these big, broad entertainments don't have romantic or sexual attachments at all. They're too busy, swept mm. up in the action. Yeah. So it is easy to uh, picture them as asexual characters. That's true. And I think uh, sometimes they might be considered romantic asexual characters and mm. that they have interests in other people, but we don't see any real sexual drive yeah. involved. Uh There are very few characters in popular culture who uh, openly identify yeah, well, as asexual. The one I can think that, of is Bojack the, Horseman's roommate. 
Uh, has said there is actually there's a whole subplot about it in uh, Bojack Horseman. I didn't watch it all, but forget what his name is. Right. Actually, it's the one played it's, by the guy from uh, played by Aaron Paul. It's not Mr. Peanut Butter, is it? No, 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 no. It's the one played by Aaron Paul, like the 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 roommate guy, the human. Oh yeah, I don't yeah. Know. I forget his. Th- I it's I liked Bojack, uh, but I didn't watch all of it. Uh, but uh, that that character is explicitly Ace, and there are subplots about their uh, uh, sexuality and finding yeah. companionship. There's, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, the issue with the, the kind of, unsp- I'm getting really tired of unspoken representation. Yeah. Uh, this idea where we can kind of drop a hint or have a creator or an actor say something after the film was made saying, oh, no, no, they're mm. actually of a different sexuality than you thought. Yeah, but then if you're, if, but if, people if, in it's the, in, if it's not in the movie, then it doesn't really count, does it? Yeah, if, if you can uh, watch that movie, mm. And if you are, if you refuse to believe that that character could be uh, gay, bi, ace, trans, whatever, the storytellers decided they wanted to be subtextual, uh-huh. um, you're not really doing much good. That's not, that's not representation. Uh, but I do believe that there are sometimes uh, situations where uh, characters may sort of, I don't know how conscious it is. Like, one example someone brought up uh, this year, and I thought was really interesting, um, The Batman. Okay. Uh, Matt Reeves' version of The Batman uh, is... People have said that uh, they're on the spectrum, Mm -hmm. uh, which tracks. It makes sense based on the text. But I've also heard people interpret that character as asexual. A romantic asexual. They're certainly interested in Catwoman as a companion. But there's nothing <coughs> sensual about their relationship. There's nothing... She's bringing more than he is to that. Uh, and so that one, I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, I buy that. Yeah, that one works. But again, it's not explicitly stated, right. which sucks. Mm. Uh, 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 again, this is... This is mm. uh, because it's a children's cartoon... There wasn't any, like, explicit sexuality, but Mm. uh, Stephen Hillenburg, the creator of Spongebob Squarepants, Ah. has said in an interview that Spongebob is expressly a sexual character. Yeah, I buy that. Because, you know, there's, like, uh, some Mm. speculation, are are Spongebob and and Patrick uh, actually lovers? Yeah. And uh, and Stephen Hillenburg said, no, well, first of all, he's a sea sponge. Sea sponges are asexual critters. True. So uh, he is he is asexual, and yeah. uh, well, what about like a uh, what is it? The, the Sand, squirrel, Sandy, Sandy, Sandy the squirrel. Yeah. It's like is that a love interest? Not really. He doesn't really have romantic interests. He is asexual. Yeah. He has best friends. He's a very warm, loving friend character. But uh, yeah, yeah. Stephen Hillenburg has has said that SpongeBob is asexual. But because this is a children's cartoon, there's not going to be a lot of sex in it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure how much that counts because that's again extra well and again uh, and, and again and again we're going off of uh, sort of uh, uh, subliminal sort of super mm. narrative but um I have been for a project I'm doing I have been watching every single Elvis Presley movie <laughs> and he made 31 narrative feature films and two concert movies in his mm. career and that, by the way that's a film career that lasts about 15 years like he was re- immensely prolific throughout the 1960s in particular. And one of the things that I'm really surprised by is that, you know, his films quickly found a formula. A lot of them are just sort of travel logs. Elvis goes to Acapulco and, you know, balances two different women and sings a couple of songs or whatever. That's kind of it. But his persona shifts quite a bit from film to film. And there are multiple films in which he's a little girl crazy. 
Uh-huh. Right? He's, he's like, ooh, I got a girl over here and a girl over here and I'll kiss you and I'll kiss you. And doesn't matter that we're cousins. There's a whole movie called Kissin' Cousins <laughs> where he's in a love triangle with his two cousins, one of whom is played by Yvonne Craig from uh, Batman. Oh, nice. It's Yvonne oh, no. Craig, right? Yes. Okay, I, want, I thought it was something else. No, Yvonne Craig. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's a weird fucking movie. He sings two songs about wanting to be with his cousins. It's really weird. However, there are multiple Elvis movies I have found in which the whole gag is that women are constantly trying to get his attention and he is absolutely oblivious. Mm. And almost completely disinterested except on like a pure companionship level. There's a movie called Follow That Dream where it's basically... um, Imagine if Elvis Presley played Steve Martin's character from The Jerk. Like, that is how completely <laughs> unaware of everything going on around him that he is. He accidentally robs a bank. He accidentally stops the mafia. And people are constantly trying to have sex with him. And he has no idea what they're talking about. And it's legitimately funny. But I'm reading it as he's ace in hmm. several of these movies. I think sometimes the attempt to... they Sometimes they attempted to portray... Elvis as a sexual dynamo, which you know yeah, makes yeah. sense for his image. But I think also sometimes in order to make him feel non-threatening, they pulled way back and played him off as almost completely asexual. Okay. Uh, which is an interesting thing, and I really didn't see that coming. And it's not in every Elvis movie, but there's at least two or three so far that I've noticed. Hmm. Uh, it's like that and like Kid Galahad, where there's a little romance, but it's... Barely a romance, like it barely counts. Yeah, and it just yeah, he's completely disinterested in conventional mm-hmm. romance. Uh, asexuality was uh, a, a lot. It, if if you uh, if you look back at sort of like old Hollywood history, mm. uh, there were actually a lot of uh, openly asexual characters. They didn't use the word asexual. Yeah, uh, as a way of like skirting censors and yeah. there's a lot of movies about sort of like stuffy old professor characters who just don't have interested in interest in romance or sex at all yeah and uh so uh, those are uh, expressly stated oh i have no interest in sex or yeah. women confirmed but, bachelors. yeah con- confirmed bachelors uh confirmed bachelor was also code for queer for a long time mm-hmm. but, but it, could uh, go yeah, either way. it could it could also be asexual um this is also true of the professor on Gilligan's Island. Oh yeah, he, kind of is, isn't said, it? Like he's he completely oblivious times, to Marianne. Like, like Ginger would always flirt it was with Ginger, him. Yeah, Ginger, Ginger yeah. always flirted with him. He's like, I have no interest in in women or sex. Yeah. So like, he didn't say the word asexual. It wasn't really uh, in common parlance yet. But mm, but he had no interest. But that he explicitly he, said he had no interest. He's an asexual character. Yeah. You'll note that a lot of the uh, asexual characters are from the old era are intellects. Mm-hmm. The idea that they are all in their mind and not in their body at all. Uh, yeah. So that's a little bit of a cliche that we're dealing with. I feel like that's some kind of weird external rationale. Like, well, there's a mm. reason. You know, they're mm. they're just they're too busy. You know, like that was, just they're they're so yeah. wrapped up in in uh, like the abstract and ideas that yeah. they never cultivated well, it, their their physicality. Asexuality kind of thing, is yeah. is a as a as um as an identity. Mm-hmm. Um, is it's pretty recent. It's, it's, it's in terms of go, in terms yeah. of being codified. In terms of being, it's it's relatively recent, and it's just something that I think they didn't have the terminology for. For a while there, and mm-hmm. so I think there's several. There are multiple characters who definitely fit that mold, and I don't think it's necessarily a matter of 
them trying not to say it outright because of homophobia mm. uh, in, in its many forms. Queerphobia. Uh, and it might also just be a simple fact of the matter of they didn't know what to call that. So that might be a situation as well. Uh, if anyone has, especially if it's a, overt, mm. if anyone can think of other characters who are explicitly stated in film, television, major popular culture uh, to be asexual or gray sexual, mm. uh, please let us know because it is dramatically underrepresented. And there's a yeah, lot of people yeah, who just yeah. don't see that representation at all and, and, because they're not watching those three things. And, and like I've said, it's it's also a matter of going beyond like a popular perception of the character and mm-hmm. going with like a textual example. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. it needs to yeah. be. I mean, if I'm interested, if you have any <coughs> interpretations of noteworthy characters who are not explicitly stated to be asexual, if you believe that they are for for you've observed good criteria. Fine, that'd be awesome, but I'm especially interested if anyone else knows of any characters who are explicitly stated to be mm-hmm. asexual or graysexual. Yeah. Uh, and, and, please and, let us know. And, and in a positive way, because there's, oh, yeah. there's actually yeah. a lot of negative examples of asexuality. Mm-hmm. Usually, um, you'll notice that uh, I was talking about sort of the intellects. Those are usually male characters. Typically, yeah. Uh, the asexual male characters are like, intellects and bookworms yeah. the uh, asexual female characters are like prison wardens and uh, you know, like Mrs. Yeah. Togar from Rock and Roll High School they're or, like villainess yeah. kind of or, characters or the the plot of the movie is uh, they just don't know what romance is yeah they just need gonna, to be charmed yeah, yeah. like you can look shop. at someone you can even look at say a character like uh, from like um, She's All That where um, mm. the, the main character, I, uh, no, Rachel Lee Cook. It, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I'm trying to remember if they actually explicitly said that she has any interest in romance and is just stymied because she's in high school. Mm. I, I'm, you could take a character like that and the, the whole point is to bring them out of their shell. Yeah. What if that's not a shell? Yeah. Well, <laughs> what if and, that's and, just an identity and we're not really talking and, about and it well? The, and, you know, you know that, that is a thing. People yeah. who are, you know, shy and need to yeah. sort of like build up confidence and gain a courage. But that's those, not everybody. Those, those are things that, that are certainly good messages to have in a movie. I think yeah. it's fine, but... Uh, I always if, resented the idea that the, the every introvert is, a... is an extrovert waiting to be hmm. given permission to at a party whenever they drink booze. Uh, it's, like, it's no, the, that's not fair. Come it's on. It's the booze element I always resented. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, all, all, all anybody needs to do is drink. Yeah. Oh, that's healthy. Yeah. Like, oh, oh no, I'm having family troubles. Yeah, but if we get together and smoke weed, everything will be okay. Really? Yeah. Because you just get high, and then you're not high anymore, and you still have the same family troubles. Nothing's been solved, you know. Anyway, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I looked up a, a quick list. Um, mm. and oh, here, great. Here's one I didn't... Con- There's a lot of characters from, like, anime that I don't know about, so I can't really speak to those. But uh, somebody pointed out on one of these lists, Henry Higgins from George Bernard yeah, Shaw's original, original version of Pygmalion. Very much so. A little less so My Fair Lady, but Pygmalion, yeah, mm. definitely, yeah. Yeah. In, in, yeah! In the uh, in the movie, they, they made it a little bit more romantic. But notice that yeah. uh, the big romantic song in My Fair Lady... Is not I'm in love. It's, it's I'm, accustomed, I'm accustomed to I've, her I've face. I've grown accustomed to her face. Yeah, isn't that an asexual way of going about? That's it? That's a great. And if you go back to the original, like 1937, 1938 movie, I think it's much more there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, actually good. So yeah, good Hen- call. Hen- Henry Higgins, good, good asexual. Very good icon. call. Yeah. Again, that's another intellect, though. It's another sort of. Oh well, yeah, sort of cliche. agreed, agreed. And that is a, that is a stereotype, but mm-hmm. uh, still, yeah, tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. 
We get some for, so, from so my letter. Got a, got a letter. One or here. two. Yeah. Um, sorry, I got, got a little careful. No, it's fine. It's, interesting, it's an here. interesting topic, and it doesn't get discussed enough. So thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah. Here's a letter from Tom, Tom Kenny. Speaking what? of SpongeBob. I'm guessing it's a different Tom Kenny. Probably a different Tom yeah. Kenny. Well, if, if you are the real Tom Kenny, uh, not the real Tom Kenny. Yeah. If you're the Tom Kenny we're thinking about, um, uh, I love you on the edge. Uh <laughs> Yes. The, the sketch comedy show from 1993. Yes, Whitney, is, Whitney um, is the one. <laughs> I'm, I'm the one fan. Me and Julie Brown were the only ones who liked that show. Um, anyway, Thomas Kenny says, Hello, um, you have mentioned Fabio more in the last year than anyone has mentioned Fabio in the last 30 years combined. Yay! I have nothing else. I just wanted to say I love it. Thank you, Thomas Kenny. Because we love... Fabio. Because <laughs> every woman wants to be... Not everyone wants to be Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're making fun of a little bit... Okay, so Fab, if, if, in case you're new to this, uh, romance novels are a billion-dollar industry. And in the 80s and 90s, uh, a lot, like a staggering number of romance novels, mm. had this one cover model on them. His name is Fabio. He goes by just Fabio, although he has a full name. That, that's his real first name, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but he shortened it. it just it's goes like, by Fabio. It's like uh, Luca Brazzi or something. It, it, he's, yeah. Sure. Uh, he's he's very muscly. L- Lanzoni is his name. Okay, Fa- we, Fabio Lanzoni. He's very muscly. He's got like a really... He, he looks like if Mr. Incredible was a person, but mm-hmm. if Mr. Incredible had like hair from like the lead singer of white snake like it's yeah, just yeah. really long flowing yeah, blonde very, very luxurious hair gigantic man like just yeah. as wide as he was tall Pecs like melons just yeah. he, he looks like a comic book character like it's really mm. he, he's a stereotypical image of a certain form of beautiful masculinity mm. and yeah he was on covers for countless romance novels and he became quite famous doing it and he would end up doing things like do tv appearances and he was in a commercial for i can't believe it's not butter for some reason and that was that was his he earned a lot of money from that i'm sure he did Uh, you know what his first movie was i bet you know Ooh, exorcist three it was he was exorcist three oh my god why do i know that you just want to slow down. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, uh, uh, but yeah, he he was enormously famous for a while. They're a little bit more obscure now. And there was uh, the moment that I will always associate with Fabio isn't actually directly Fabio related. Well, he wasn't in it anyway. Uh, but um, in Mystery Science Theater three thousand, Joel was the host for f- about four or five seasons. And every episode would begin with an invention exchange, and Joel was kind of a, a gadget comedian. He would invent a lot of things, not like say Carrot Top, for example. He was, he was a prop comic. He was a prop that comic. Was shtick, yeah. yeah, he would invent fun gadgets, and that was his shtick. And when he left the show, they quickly realized that the the invention exchange was a Joel thing. It didn't mm. really. It's hard to keep up with that pace if you're not Joel Hodgson. But, but they tried for a while. But so yeah, my, for about was, half a season, they Mike's tried. Thing, yeah. But for a half a season, one of those uh, invention exchanges was Fabio. <laughs> it was a kit that allowed you to become Fabio. It came with a yeah. blonde wig a big, and a very a big large chin. chin yeah. And, and pecs. And, pecs. Mm. and he would just be Fabio. We are Fabio. Men want to be Fabio. Women want Fabio. Are you Fabio? You could be Fabio. Yeah. So just saying Fabio is Star, just... Star of book covers, magazines, and our tours of our own line of chest grease. <laughs> <laughs> it just... I, I remember Fabio... Through that, I think more than anything well, and else. He uh, and he 
quickly became a joke uh, well, because yeah. because he's just larger such, than life kind such of character, a caricature yeah. kind of character. So he'd show up in uh, like certain things as you know as himself, yeah, just playing like big hunky man spoof movies. Yeah, I think uh, he did one with the, he was in something he, with he Leslie Nielsen. He was in Spy it? Hard. That was yeah. in Spy Hard. Yeah, uh, and eventually he he started showing up in like. Even broader, like he showed up on one of the Sharknado sequels. Sure, um, that's about right. Like that—that that was the level of fame where he was at. And I yeah. think he, he kind of resented that for a while. I'm sure, he did. Uh, also, he was cursed by God. Uh, <laughs> what? Th- there was a really horrendous incident involving Fabio that was in the news, like back in the mid '90s, uh, and you probably remember this, where he was—he uh, was the celebrity get for the opening of a new roller coaster. Oh, uh, and, I and, think I kind of yeah, and this Fabio. It was like, okay, we're going to have the you know, the first run of this roller coaster with like with the public. People are going to get on. You're going to ride. It's going to be a lot of fun. You're Fabio. We're going to get a lot of pictures with you. Yeah. He got on the roller coaster and it was really, really tall. Yeah, this is and very it, common to get like a celebrity to open a roller coaster yeah, yeah, for like and, local and newspapers, photo exactly. ops. Exactly. And, yeah. and you know, Fabio, that's as big a celebrity as they could get was Fabio. Eh, not bad. He got on the roller coaster. They went up to the top and a bird, a seagull, a really big bird flew right into his face <laughs> and broke his nose. Oh, my God. The bird died. Oh. <laughs> and he got off the roller coaster at the end of the first ride, and there's blood streaming down his face, and he's oh, crying. It was, it was horrible, because he got really That's, badly injured. Well, yeah, that would do it. That like, sucks. First of all, it's like, when does that ever happen to anybody? It's... Secondly, it's Fabio. <laughs> Poor guy. I never felt bad for Fabio before, but like, now I kind of do. It sucks. <laughs> oh, no, it's a Larry, Larry Bud Melman was struck by lightning. It's like this really weird, yeah, uh, weird. Conflu- anyway, confluence of events. Anyway, well, now that we've now that we've we've really humanized Fabio, which I think is really really good. But um, yeah, we talk about Fabio sometimes, and we also found a book that Fabio wrote about Fabio going mm-hmm. back in time. Uh, and I still I still need to read it actually. It's on a shelf right here. I can see it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> thank yes, you for uh, writing it about Fabio. Uh, Fabio is uh, also uh, still single. Oh, he said he's uh, he, he he. I think there was something in his contract actually that he wasn't allowed to date or marry. Oh, that's fucked up. Uh, yeah, yeah, because like he, had he needs to, to be yeah, considered yeah, available. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, maybe he did date somebody secretly, but he wasn't allowed to have like public relationships. Is it like that? It's almost like that uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar McDonald's thing. Oh, was she not allowed to date? No, no, no. Was she wasn't, like, allowed, to, like, she wasn't allowed to go to McDonald's. Oh, was there like something in her contract? Well, she wasn't allowed to eat McDonald's. She hold on, let me make sure I'm getting this right because right. if memory serves, when Sarah Michelle Gellar was a child actor, okay, uh, she did <clears throat> a uh, a Burger King commercial, oh, okay. where she said something to the effect of, "I never eat McDonald's." Oh, like as a child. It was in, it was the first commercial to ever mention a competitor by name. Oh no, kidding! All right, yeah, and uh, indeed, McDonald's actually sued, and then Sarah Michelle Gellar was never allowed to eat at McDonald's by like by law. Wow! Yeah. Oh my god! Do you she know, was four, and oh. she would have to apparently. <laughs> and she told the story she was have to like wear a wig oh. Oh. to like go to a friend's birthday party at McDonald's. Oh, like, god. So Sarah Michelle Gellar, she's probably like 45 now or something. Yeah, probably. Uh, do you suppose, like, and she's like a, a, a rich star. Like, oh yeah, she's, she's doing she's fine. Got, she's got plenty of clout. She's, she's, she's um, probably comfy. I would hope so. I would like to think that like at some point in her career, like when she realized she had enough clout, she could like send somebody out and get her like contraband Big Macs from McDonald's. Yeah. Just so she could taste it. Taste the, the, the forbidden food. Yeah. 
Oh, that yeah. Yes, I, I McDonald's. McDonald's sued Burger King, and they named four or five year old Sarah Michelle Geller in the lawsuit. Wow, Jesus Christ. <laughs> So yeah, I, I, I'm guessing uh, Fabio probably wasn't permitted to date, or maybe just uh, you know his, his modeling oh, yeah. career didn't allow for it. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, he he said that he wants to settle down and marry and have children. He's you know yeah. he's, he's still handsome. He still looks like Fabio. Sure. He's probably around sixty now, but he's still Weird. a handsome guy. Yeah, very handsome. So, yeah, marry marry if if you want to marry Fabio, he's available. Go go get him. Go go get yeah yeah. That's <laughs> also a movie I want to see. You see, like so, someone finds out Fabio is single, it's like. Well, shit. Let's go. Is that Fabio? Road trip to Fabio. (laughs) You've heard of the road to Utopia? Let's let's go to the road to Fabio. Road to Fabio. I love it. Just get a bunch of people, bunch of bunch of actors together, and they all want to romance Fabio again. Not a bad idea. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we have time for one more. I think. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Here we go. Road to. Um, I'm writing this down. This is gold. uh, This is from just the letter C. Um, Hello, gentlemen. On a recent episode, Whitney was talking about a Finnish film and how the story was simple and not sophisticated. This made me wonder what makes a story simple, what classifies it as sophisticated, Mm. and more importantly, at what point does being simple or sophisticated become a detriment? Uh, Sincerely, C. Uh, that's a you know that's a simple question, but there's actually a, a lot of sophistication to it uh, because there's a lot of nuance there. Um, you can be you can have a simple story, but handle it in a complex way. Yeah. Um, you can also have a really complicated story and handle it in a way that's extremely thuddingly obvious. Uh, to be simple is not necessarily a bad thing. To oh, be no. to be complicated is not necessarily a good thing. Oh golly no! It's just a choice you make as yeah. an artist. Uh, um, a, a simple story, um, just to to use some broad mm-hmm. strokes, typically doesn't have many characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, it doesn't have too many twists and turns that make it difficult to follow. Yeah, it has There's a pretty straightforward storyline. Yeah, maybe takes place in the real world or a world that's easy to consume. Yeah, uh, you know, not not a lot of world building would be required to understand what's going on in that universe. Like, right. Um, My Little Pony is a bizarre magical world, but you're you're already there. You know where you right. stand with something like My Little Pony. I would I would something like um I'm trying to think of like a lot of dance movies have a very simple storyline. Something oh, like yeah, yeah. Break into Electric Boogaloo or Step Up to the Streets. Mm-hmm. There's these are relatively straightforward stories about getting better at something, finding your family and competing in competition. A lot of sports movies are relatively simple as well. Um, but within that framework, the simplicity of a storyline can give you a lot more room for a lot more complexity in your characters because there's not a lot of running around distracting them. They don't have to like, oh God, we have to get to the commissioner by six o'clock. It's like, no, we just, uh, we, we have a dance recital in two weeks. Well, we have two weeks to fill and we can like interact and get to know each other better. So these things are not like mutually exclusive. They can actually interact very clear, very clearly where you can have a complicated storyline, but very simple characters, which Mm. is a lot of movies. Actually, a lot of like big budget movies uh, tend to like Transformers movies, these weird labyrinthine plots. Sometimes no interesting characters to speak of most Mm. of the time. Um, And you can do the exact opposite. You have a very simple story with a lot of rich character stuff yeah. in uh, it you know nothing yeah. happens in clerks except yeah, we explore the characters it's, it's just conversation yeah it's just a, a, a talk movie yeah, yeah like we, it's, there's some relationship stuff but it's very straightforward guys in a relationship with one woman 
He kind of misses being in a relationship with this woman he dated in high school. Something bad happens. He eventually realizes what he really, really wants. Mm. But by then it might be too late. Yeah. That's all of Clerks. That's not much more to it than that. Yeah. Uh, the the idea... Plot When, when, when people get point. in trouble, uh, you know, when I, when I start to sort of get my hackles raised as, as a film mm. critic, yeah. is when uh, a simple story starts piling on a lot of incidents... In the hopes that I'll be distracted from how simple the story is. Yeah. If you try to make me think that it's really more a lot more... Like Transformers. Yeah, you're just cluttering like, it up. You're not actually, bad, like, adding any content. Bad guy yeah. wants Doomsday Device. That's a, It's as simple as that. You're That's trying, to, But you're trying to make it sound like it's really important by throwing in all these extra characters. And, and all these twists. Yeah, it's and like, did, it did turns you out know, I need this to get yeah. this other and thing. There's and, a know. secret cult of Blabbity Blue that has been worshipping oh, robots yeah. since the 17th century. Yeah. And it's like, that's yeah. not helping anything. It's a, And it's all you're really doing... Is it's just this? This is just a room with too many boxes in it. Mm. That's it. You don't need this and many boxes. In it. Yeah, you don't need this. Mm. You can clear them out, and it's just their, their couch and a TV and a table, and that's enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't need so, more than that. So when I, when I say the story is simple in that regard, that's mm. going to be a criticism. It can be yes. uh, because uh, yeah. it's it's this gigantic thing that's trying to to look like a very large experience, but mm-hmm. it's not. Exploring grand ideas to match its size. I would argue that I think uh, simple Mm -hmm. maybe is a better, just sort of a neutral term. But simplistic is maybe a bit more inherently critical because we're saying that you're not... It's not because the story is simple and that was enough. It's because you took the easiest road out here and you didn't actually take advantage of what you had. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, you can tell a simple story. You can tell a really complicated story. These are not inherently good or bad things. Right. Just how you do them. That's the old Ebert quote. It's not what a movie is about. It's how it is how about, it's about it. it. Yeah. 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 The, the, and and to, to fall back on this this old uh, saw that I bring up every once in a while, mm. uh, I, story is overrated. Uh, actually, yeah. ha- having a simple story is usually just enough to communicate the real things that you're going to see a movie for, which yeah. is you know, character moments, certain characters, certain moods, certain mm-hmm. uh, fe- feelings and moments stand out more than the story in a lot of cases. Sometimes even action sequences. Like, you know, mm. actu- movies don't need a lot of action sequences. Oh, golly, they no, definitely don't. They, like, ne- they never do. Well, <laughs> like, they're gratuitous. I'm sure there's an exception here or there, but like the vast majority of movies... You know, like, oh, there's that cool sequence in that uh, Fast and Furious movie where all the zombie cars are chasing after him. That's not important. No, it's no, no. neat, but that's the only reason why it's there is to be nifty. Like, that's that's just trying to like just add like a level of gold paint on something. Mm. It's not actually making it gold, and that can be fine too. Mm. That's totally entertaining. It can just do it to do it. That is okay, but it doesn't mean it's fascinating. It mm. doesn't mean it's complicated. It doesn't mean there's anything to say about the human condition, and it doesn't have to do that. But mm-hmm. if it is seems like it's trying, then it's obviously a detriment. Um, yeah, I it, yeah, I guess it just depends on what a movie is going for. Yeah, basically, yeah. if it's not trying to be simplistic, but it feels mm-hmm. simplistic, then that would be a critique. Yeah. Um, me- meanwhile, sometimes a very simple movie, kind mm-hmm. of like a downbeat, quiet movie, can have the most elaborate plot that's really difficult to, to follow. Oh, yeah. um, I-, I saw a David Cronenberg film today. <sighs> David Cronenberg is notorious for this. He's got these weird, paranoid conspiracies about all these yeah. secret organizations, and these characters belong to this one, but they're actually turncoats from this other one. Uh, 
And we don't I need think, all of that damage. I don't even know how much Cronenberg is thinking out, like, the world in that. I think he just has, like, sort of the paranoia in the moment. Yeah. That's what he's really more concerned about. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like, Videodrome has a lot of that. Naked Lunch is nothing but that. <laughs> uh, yeah, here's your ticket to Interzone. It's like, what the hell is inter- Interzone? You didn't think that out, did you? You just <laughs> took a word from William Burroughs and threw it in the, in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I kind of love that, though. Yeah. <laughs> I love well, how well, well, arch and weird that is. And, you know, in in David Cronenberg's case, yeah, that arch weirdness is kind of part of the texture of the movie, but it's it mm-hmm. makes the stories a little bit difficult to piece together. Yeah. It's like, I can kind of get it from scene to scene, but overall, it's like, what what happened? Who were those guys? Like, you, you don't have it in your head when you leave the theater. I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, so that is it for uh, We've Got Mail this week. Thank you, everybody, who wrote in. Thank you, everybody, who uh, sent us questions. Thank you for Fabio. Uh, and, uh, yeah. It's just really, really nice to hang out with you every week. So thank you so much for that. Uh, if you want to write into a future episode, feel free to do so. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, once again, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Uh, we apologize that we can't read every single letter because we do get a lot, but we do our best. And mm-hmm. if anything is ever super duper important or time sensitive, feel free to give us a nudge on Twitter. We're at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. Uh, we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, where we have other opportunities uh, to interact. You can vote for future episodes. You can listen to ad-free episodes of our regular shows. Uh, we have exclusive shows about the Academy Awards and Star Trek. Uh, and we have also Hangouts uh, every month where uh, we're doing uh, trivia nights now, which is really, really fun. We're going to do one, I think, later this week. Um Maybe next week. I have to look at our calendar. But it's soon. Yeah. Uh, so uh, thank you, everybody, for joining up. Thank you, everybody, for keeping the show going. really means a lot to us. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, leave us a review if you haven't already. That really, really helps the show more than I can say. Um, but, uh, yeah, mostly we're just really, really grateful that you're here. And thank you to everybody who wrote in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all for now. Am I forgetting anything? Nope, that's it. All right. Have a good weekend. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. <laughs>